Welcome back to the podcast with myself, Ben Walker. This is the second of two lectures that I was going to give across the Prosper Care podcast and the Restore podcast. So in this lecture, I'm going to be speaking about effective teams and dealing with difficult people. So we're just going to look at the anatomy of effective teams. So from a model's perspective, trust, the culture, feedback, course correction, the concept of homeostatic teams and tools and techniques. And then dealing with difficult people, we're going to look at triggers, root cause, rapport, the ELCR uh, framework, availability and self-awareness. So first looking at effective teams. So the first concept is that of action-centered leadership. And this is a uh, model which was posited in the 1970s, so 1973 by John Adair. And this highlights core actions that you must take to lead teams effectively. <clears throat> so it's, it's almost actions rather than leadership styles that you choose. Three core actions or indeed domains really. So the first is the individual, the second is the team and the third is the task. And they all overlap. Um, and it's really prudent to start with the individual. So any high performing team starts with what they call a zero point survey and this is a concept that cliff reed speaks to uh, but certainly is present in this module where you have to make sure the individual needs are taken care of so it's really fundamentally starts with self-care and indeed have you been to the toilet are you well rested have you slept have you eaten and then team needs is the team communicating well do they know the the task and indeed the outputs expected of them and then last comes the task and that might be the patient or indeed the task execution whatever that might be so looking at that in a bit more detail um, again starting with a zero point survey looking at individual needs both from just a, a physiological level but also you know have they as have have as the individual developed um, are they motivated and indeed are they coached to the right place are the group communicating well is there team building going on and then thirdly, task needs. So making sure that the task is explicit. So setting objectives, um, looking at responsibilities and looking at baselines of performance standards. So what are the expectations or KPIs and baselines expected? But these really concentric circles overlap. And indeed, it starts with an individual, bleeds through to the team or group and then ends up with the task. So next thing to say really is that uh, trust equals cohesion. And I spoke about this last week around the fact that trust is a foundation of teamwork um, that trust correlates with vulnerability it can be difficult actually for teams to uh, be vulnerable with each other but and it does take time you know you do not get this out of the gate it, it does take time but it can be accelerated uh, it's never complete so it always must be maintained but trust equals cohesion so actually fundamentally if i trust you i will start to um, think about your needs think about what 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 I, I know that you're thinking about mine, so we're starting to cover each other's um, needs and indeed uh, skill set off. So the next is from Patrick Lencioni in 2002, and this is around the five dysfunctions of a team. So at the fundamental level, the first of the five dysfunctions is absence of trust. And then next is uh, fear of conflict. And then the next is uh, lack of commitment. Um, fourth is the avoidance of accountability. And the fifth is inattention to results and or detail. So there's an inverted triangle to this as well, which the fundamental base to counteract these would be 
make sure there is collective outcomes and awareness of collective outcomes. Uh, confront difficult conversations, um, force clarity and closure, um, and that combats lack of commitment. Also, just look for areas of conflict and try to do conflict in a healthy way. And then this absence of trust uh, is a go first principle. So you go first. So it's, and again, this is fundamental in, in most areas of trust work or indeed vulnerability workers is you being the first mover. So I'll put this, um, I'll put this model up in the show notes as well. So people can refer to it uh, later down the line. So the next concept is really around um, the analog of trust being in the middle, um, and then on the outside, three other concentric ring, rings of culture, ownership, and collective purpose. And this really is around making sure that the culture is healthy, uh, and that's a top-down effect. Mainly in most high-performing teams, it's a top-down effect. So what happens in the leadership trickles down to the grassroots and baseline. There's ownership, there's local and executive ownership of tasks, and then there's collective purpose and defined roles. Ownership is analogous to accountability. Culture is also an analogue of communication. So healthy communication should be the prerequisite for any high-performing team within their culture. So and then, so this kind of you-before-me culture um, needs to be flipped on its head, and it's actually me before you. So I'll be the first mover in this. Um, and then looking at this ostentatious listening. So, um, And it really starts, like we said last week, with active listening. Active listening, seeing where the deficits are, and being the first mover in the room. So the next model I'd like to look at is the energy investment model. And this is really an X and Y axis. So the X axis is attitude and the Y axis is energy. And the simple principle here is, and it, again, it's, it's, these, this concept can bleed over to every individual. So every individual might have all facets of, this, of these characteristics in them. So the first is the uh, victim and they're low in attitude and low in energy. The next is the spectator and they're high in attitude but low in energy. The third is the critic or cynic um, and they are high in energy and low in attitude. And the fourth is the player. So they're high in energy, high in attitude. And again, like I said, you know, in a 12-hour shift, you can be all four of these, depending what time of day it is. But indeed, they you can take a cross-section or the anatomy of any team and really start to separate out those people that are high in energy and attitude. You know, nothing's too much for them to do. They'll put their hand to anything. They show behavioral flexibility. Um, and that's really interesting to, to know how to recruit spectators. So those who are high in attitude and low in energy. But actually you can bring them across to being players. So you can synergize them, you can invigorate them. And indeed you can even um, create collective ownership. Um, and they're probably the easiest converters. The next m- most difficult group to convert are the cynics because they... Um, have poor attitude but high energy so even if you can convert these to spectators that's better than them being cynics and the fourth domain which is really difficult like i said is victim mentality and that's really difficult and again if, if you can just even move them up to being spectators from victims then that's a succinct shift in attitude okay so the next thing i want to say is about culture so a high performing team really stewards good culture 
And this is around collective mindset, incremental gains, knowing that any gains really are truly incremental. Um, celebrating the micro wins, I think, is super important. And again, this is a top-down principle. So the leadership should model celebrating minor wins. And then it's around sort of future projection or trajectory. So visualizing or verbalizing the future so that people know exactly where you're going, albeit you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and indeed for the next few years. So this would be about strategic planning. Any good culture has got task execution of the basics, so fundamentally does the basics well. So stress mitigation, um, and again this is at a local level, like having stress mitigation tactics or techniques which, which allow people to make sure that they can control and or indeed just cope with the uh, workload that they're dealing with. And then finally, any culture really just need good feedback mechanisms because you really don't know where you are on any baseline of performance and indeed results if you have got not got feedback. So Peter Drucker says, uh, the late Peter Drucker says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. So fostering a good culture is the first prerequisite for any effective team. Okay, then, then strategy, which is forward thinking, forward planning, and indeed future projection, comes after culture, a good culture. And this, this is typified when a leader comes into a room, might be a consultant, um, emergency medicine consultant, or indeed a, a, a senior police or fire or paramedic comes into the room and starts to make drinks for maybe the most junior people or serves the most junior people. And this speaks to sort of servant leadership. And again, it's, it's, it's in the micro moves where people are really bought into to a culture. So it might be just, yeah, simply making coffee or indeed tea or drinks for people or bringing in food for people or doing, doing micro tasks which show people at the front line that they're valued. Okay, so speaking about feedback loops, this is absolutely key. So it's prudent to have multiple feedback loops to um, be able to really triangulate where you are, not only in an organization, but within your own development and your own skill mastery and practice. So we have within uh, the pre-hospital world, we've got hot debriefs, we've got cold debriefs or case review where we'll gather around and discuss the cases. We've got Schwartz rounds, which are the emotional debrief. We talk, we can gather it together and talk about the emotional impact of work. And then you've got root cause analysis. And this generally only really occurs when things go wrong. But we started to see it within feedback mechanisms where there, there have been sort of clinical pathologists come in to, to, to really get to root cause of death for certain patients. And I think it's really prudent to have multimodal feedback. So just m- taking it away from medicine, it's really prudent to, 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 to try and foster good feedback channels in all areas. And one thing I've learned in my own life is Sometimes people mention things just as throwaway comments or indeed just in passing. And those can be really valuable. Like I've really noticed in the past some comments made which might literally have not been made anywhere else by anyone else, but actually have 
got some semblance of truth and something I haven't heard and actually um, really resonate with me. So it's really prudent to pick up on the small cues as well as the big ones um, because you want to enable feedback both as an individual, as a team and uh, indeed for the task itself. So the last thing I'll say about high-performing teams in this podcast is really about homeostatic teams. And this is something I learned from uh, my good friend Tim Archer, who is a group captain in the military and indeed is a senior lecturer in Cardiff University. And he speaks about this concept of, of homeostatic teams. And I, I really like it just because and it can't be found anywhere in the literature, but it's evident in, in high-performing teams that you see. Actually, what happens is in homeostatic teams is the leader sees a deficit in the room. So what they do is they try to keep the temperature of the room. And when I say the temperature of the room, that's analogous to everyone's on board with the mental model. Everyone knows what tasks are ahead of them. Everyone knows where we're going. Everyone's aware of um, what the priorities are. There's a verbal affirmation where it needs to be given. There is... Um, things are unpacked, some of the problems or indeed the uh, rate-limiting steps are tackled by the leadership or delegated, but that actually the leader's not scared to step step into any situation and help solve problems. And again, the, the role I'm in at the moment, I see my leaders, um, the leaders within the organisation I work in, are, are there because they're good at solving problems. And actually, problems are uncomfortable, it's difficult, but actually that is where you keep the homeostatic temperature range. Solving problems, making sure that the team are working well at the baseline, indeed at the front line, and, uh, and squaring off any deficits in care or indeed in, in, in productivity. So this concept of homeostasis is absolutely key, creating the right conditions for the team to provide optimal outcomes. So I'm going to speak about dealing with difficult people. And the first thing I want to say about this is learn what's triggering to, to cause people to be difficult in the first place. Now, this might not be abundantly apparent. It might be difficult to find out what's triggering. Or it might be absolutely easy to, to understand what the triggers are. And then dealing with those triggers. So it might be sleep fatigue. It might be lack of information. It might be reality versus expectations. It could be sort of hunger or indeed the ability spectrum. Or it could be um, on expedition. It could be minor wounds or injuries. It could be sort of the underlying motivations, so the psychology. And that's really difficult to pass that apart and understand. And it could be conflict. Um, and again, this might not be abundantly apparent or indeed immediately apparent, but um, residual conflict, which people are working through. And also it might be and one which takes time to work out is self-talk so that your self-narrative. And again, it's this is this is something that, that, that you have to build a picture up over time to really understand people's self-narrative. Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it debasing? Is it um is it challenging um, to then try and help them rewrite their own self-talk? Next thing I want to say is around information. So I think this is a common concept really within dealing with difficult people and or difficult situations. I Just taking a diagnostic on how much information they've had. Have they, have they, have they had a lack of information? Have they had a deficit of information or have they been innovated with information on where you're going, what you're doing? Even if there's no updates, 
it's, it's, it's more about engagement than it is about the actual information which is given. So telling them that you haven't got any updates, but you're still working in the background is still informing them and actually keeps them on board. So we say information, information, information. Give people as much information as you have with continual engagement to keep them on side. So next thing I want to say is about hidden mental stresses. And again, this was uh, something we just just spoke about, and it's difficult sometimes to pass this apart and understand, but um, certainly lack of information can be one of them. Perceptions, uh, workload, or lack of situation awareness. Um, sleep and fatigue are big. They're certainly big within medicine, but they can be big across the board, really. And again, these can be kind of hidden mental stresses because you may not know how much sleep a colleague or person's had in the past 24 hours, but they certainly do. Um, and again, something about around culture. So command gradient in culture and indeed the, the sort of ecosystem or culture which is built around you. Uh, is that Does that lend itself to sharing and to open discourse? Or is there a hierarchical culture where you are not really invited to share? You're just expected to turn up. There's no affirmation. There's no feedback channels. There's no real clear communication. Um, so what culture are people operating in? So that really does steward and or reflect these hidden mental stresses. So something to say, um, which we've spoken about just briefly, is about getting to the root cause. It's a root cause analysis. And again, it's sometimes not a quick uh, win. Sometimes it takes time to get to root cause. Um, But understanding some of the fundamental problems and then being solution orientated on the back of that. So making sure there is um, aligned solutions to the problems. And that much might be verbalizing the solutions or indeed working with the people um, who might be challenging to work through the solutions with them. So fostering that teamwork so that there's a solutions-orientated mindset rather than a problem-orientated mindset. The next thing I want to say is around creating a culture of making sure it's okay to make mistakes, Um, but creating a culture where it's, it's okay to make mistakes, just making sure that they are not repeated over time. So the power of nonverbal communication, we spoke about this last week around understanding body movements, face, arm, tonality, sort of the modulation, indeed the iteration, um, and just understanding what the appropriate response is based on what people are not saying. So based not on words, but on the nonverbal face, posture, tonality, intonation and just picking up on the subtle cues okay and then it's, it's prudent to say around sort of rapport is the ability to enter into someone else's world and make them feel that you understand them and that you have a strong common bond with them so that's a quote from tony robbins around rapport building and rapport building with difficult people is one of the fundamental challenges again it starts with active listening and it might just start with a concept we speak around verbal midazolam so simplify and de-escalate the first posture is active listening The second posture is making sure your cadence of communication tonality are are clear, concise, but calm. Um, The concept might be also also, um, sitting down with a person. So actually giving them the the nonverbal cues that they are the priority in the room. And then looking to, uh, once you've listened to them, uh, institute the power of agreement. So use their information to agree 
on fundamental principles which are easy to agree on. Matching and mirroring, um, these nonverbal cues, so access their nonverbal cues, but then also try to objectify the problem. So making the problem elsewhere, making sure it's it's not between you and the person, but maybe it's it's not on the map or on a on the table somewhere which isn't between uh, you and the other person. So here we we then move now on to something we spoke about last week around empathic communication. This is around sort of the cognitive and behavioral aspects. So cognitively sort of understanding the person's psychological state and behaviorally effectively communicating um, understanding to that motivational state. So the first is the cognitive appreciation of where they're at and the second is adjusting your behavioral approach to meet that uh, psychological state so de-escalation techniques um so the the elcr is around adjusting the environment first so the e stands for environment and that really is about sitting down as much as possible as much as you can do matching people at eye level using your eyes to listen um, give them non-verbal exits so don't square off 90 degrees give them, give, give them a non-verbal way out of the communication should they need it and minimize, minimizing noise in the environment is also key um, and just giving them your sole attention making them truly feel listened to and that really is the second concept around rules of listening so assume an attentive posture let them let them speak into the situation Again, show them that you've heard and then show them you've understood. And the third is communication, so chunking information back to them, um, sharing the mental model of your thoughts. We've spoken about the power of agreement, instituting the power of agreement. And then finally, honestly, saying sorry if you need to say sorry. Just really being humble, humble enough to say sorry or indeed ad- ad- admission because what that really does is takes the heat, takes the fire out of out of a challenging situation, should it be your fault. And then fourthly, uh, reassurance. So the final acronym is around reassurance. So taking your time, empower them with information, use their predominant mode of communication carefully, uh, making yourself available to them, so making them feel, feel central to the plan, to the solution going forward, and also not being scared to use affirmation. So tactical affirmation or an honest affirmation as well, because actually people can tell when people aren't genuine, but, but using genuine affirmation and calling out good aspects of their care or indeed of their personality, of their, their character is absolutely key. So the next concept is around management by walking about. And this is just about creating a, um, a culture of availability, uh, being available to your direct reports. And indeed, being able to spot problems early. So being able to problem solve before they become massive issues is absolutely key. And something we spoke about also is around the power of humility. Now, again, we could just do a podcast on humility and what it is, what it's not, uh, the definition of humility. But it really it's it has to be both genuine, um, uh, well positioned, um, so at the right time and indeed Maybe the first move, actually. So just to create more understanding of a situation, the first move by you as a, indeed, as a leader or as the de-escalator of the issue, moving in humility to try and understand the problem deeper really starts to take the fire out of the situation, starts to take their energy out of the situation.
So the next concept is around self-awareness. And this is really about learning your own triggers. So learning what relaxes you, uh, learning to get common agreement with people where you can. And also something that Steve Peters says in The Chimp Paradox and a few of his other books is around never being scared to laugh at yourself. It's a powerful tool to not take yourself too seriously. So finally, um, as we're coming into land, something fantastic I heard recently is around not letting your scope of practice, both either in medicine or otherwise, determine your scope of knowledge. So finally, as we're coming to land on the podcast, um, a couple of tools and techniques, walking and talking. So just walking, talking, objectifying the problems, proximity and exits, giving people nonverbal cues or ways out of communications, modeling humility to people and indeed active listening. And then being vulnerable enough to uh, both admit and accept uh, fault if that's the if that's indeed the case. Um, so then in summary to the podcast, really high performing teams steward the environment well so they like we said before about homeostatic teams they look at the rate limiting steps in the environment and do something about them just to make sure that you're fostering this uh, environment where people can truly flourish within their given tasks uh, never underestimate active listening. I think we've spoken about that before. Um, communication and cadence of communication is absolutely key. So your affirmation and reassurance in a situation, and that could be a dynamic, high-performing team, stressful situation, is still key. So closed-loop communication, but reassurance and affirmation at the right point might be absolutely what that person needs to continue. Um, your nonverbal communication speaks loudest in every situation. Now, that's not to say sometimes we need to de-emphasize verbal communication, but we need to pick up on the small cues, the subtle cues. What's, what, what is the environment and the scene not saying, but that's very apparent in the background? And then being available and understanding that there are hidden elements to people's character that you may never know, you may never understand, you may never get access to, but that are affecting directly affecting their character indeed their personality and the way they're coming across but trying to get access into these um, to de-escalate them and indeed just to try and bring them on board to recruit them so that energy investment model recruit them to to being players or indeed even spectators trying to trying to improve the attitude in the in the room and finally just being humble and I think that can't be overstated uh, that tactical and indeed purposeful humility um, so making sure that that is front and center of any communication all right thanks for listening guys uh, we'll be back next week with another fantastic uh, guest um, I think there's a couple of guests I've got queued up on their podcast which are going to be really engaging around um, some medical concepts around thoracotomy and triage and uh, handover as well. So how we hand over the data and or information entropy that occurs in handover. And so keep, stay tuned. This podcast will be screened on both the Restore podcast and the Preosport Care podcast. Uh, please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. And it's always good to get your feedback. So again, on this episode, I'll add my email. Please do feel free to drop me a line. All right, thanks for listening, guys.